Cooper, our voices might sound a little different today. Oh, it hurts me. It pains me. <laughs> it literally pains me. We have a man down over here. Zach, how are we feeling, bro? <laughs> I'm through the worst of it. I think I'm on the uphill climb now, but you heard it here Listeners, first. Listeners, <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Zach got COVID. <laughs> it's Smell. not the common cold, guys. I'm out. <laughs> the, uh, the uh, what is it called? The, uh, I was gonna say, I'm going to say intestines. It's not intestines. It's your, uh, what fights disease within your body? Immune. Your <laughs> immune, immune system. system has been compromised. I know. It took me so long to figure out how <laughs> My intestines <laughs> have not been compromised, thankfully. Yeah. My immune system has, I would say, lack of vitamin C, lack of Flintstone mm. gummy. And the COVID-19 virus entered. And just lack of willpower. I think it's just well, a lack of willpower. Yeah, willpower, <laughs> determination, all of that. But I've been quarantined for the better part of, I think, seven days now. And let me you tell you, it's brutal. It's brutal. Yeah. You were a person that was designed to be with people. Well, so are you. And I'm part, partly I'm designed to be with you. And part of this is not. <laughs> it feels intimate. It's not <laughs> intimate, Zach. Uh, I feel like you're not wrong. I'm not. It's fair to say that. Well, At least you have your bride, your wonderful yeah. bride, who also fell victim to the virus. But here's the deal. I can't imagine being quarantined by myself. That yeah, sounds that would terrible. Be. But that's a reality for a lot of people in our in our world today. And if you're right. out there and you're listening to this right now and you're quarantined by yourself, if you go back and listen to the Bob Goff episode, our numbers are on there and you call us if you need someone to call talk to. Us. Because it's I at least have line. someone and it is still brutal because as a human, we're just designed to be with people. We're designed for interaction. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or you don't necessarily tend to enjoy the social, I mean, social times we're designed to be with people and this virus has stopped us from that and dude it is brutal brutal yeah. you say the hardest part for you some people have been getting super sick from it luckily yeah. you didn't really get super sick you were just the lack of engagement with human beings is what is really <laughs> i would say i mean so. like i'm i see there's just crayon markings on your walls man like don't, <laughs> we don't draw on walls dude you've gone you've gone insane it's i'm going crazy over here i will yeah i mean the sickness it's not fun oh another part I lost my smell. I've been waiting to tell you that. Oh, I literally, no. I fell asleep. <laughs> Midday, I fall asleep. I take this nap and I wake up and I'm kind of stuffy, but I can still like inhale through my nostrils. And then I just run from candle no to avail. candle around the house. Nothing. Just, he's in, hit, you inhale to no avail. Nothing. It is the weird thing. So weird. Thankfully, That's I can still so taste. horrible. I think my taste is at a certain percentage lost, but. My smell is 100% gone. It's so strange. Dude, that is so horrible. Strange. I, uh, I've heard that one. smell is like a portion of your taste. So maybe you just lost the smell portion of your tasting. Yeah, I think I've heard there's a guy. There's a guy, Sean Hill. I work with him. He has oh, no sense of smell up. anyway. So he lives his life as if he was a COVID victim. Gosh. So he's never had smell. Which but he also horrible. wouldn't I, know if he got the virus. I mean, his taste, I guess, but yes. yeah, or feeling sick, but I've heard that people have gone, it's like three months and people are like, dude, I still can't smell. No. So all I'm saying is buckle up. You're buttercup. kidding. Yeah. I thought I could smell something, but it's, it's so strange because it's not like the smells just don't go in there. You, you guess your brain just didn't register them. So I smelled <laughs> yeah, something like, like there's super an off switch. Yeah. Yeah. I smelled something super strong and I couldn't smell it but I could feel it burn because it was like some cinnamon wow. tea or something. Like my eyes were watering and it was burning, but I couldn't smell it. It's so strange. That's brutal. That is so brutal. It is brutal. And I don't really I'm know. Sorry. Hey, 
man down. There's just, you're a man down. Man My down. heart goes out to you. I mean, it was, it was snowing today and you were inside. Yeah, it really snowed in that. Dallas today, folks. It's a Christmas miracle. It is a Christmas January miracle. January of 2021. Yeah, 2021, dude, it's literally called COVID-19. This thing started in 2019. I didn't get it until 2021. Yeah, dude, it's like not so even cool. To, it's not even cool it's, to get it anymore. Yeah, now you're just yeah, it's not. It's not the it, cool thing. It's just unfortunate, and it's it just. I like. Yeah, did you hear about the super strand or whatever that like has come out? What? <laughs> What's up? Apparently, in, apparently in Europe, there's this new strand that's like seventy percent more contagious or something like that. That's like in basically like a hunker down for another wave is what I heard. You're kidding? A super strand. <laughs> That's what super I, that's strand. What I, heard. I heard it from a already unreliable it, source. Super strand. I don't know, dude. Hopefully you can't. I mean, what are you gonna lose your smell again? <laughs> I hope not, dude. That stinks. Literally, I and I can't smell it. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my COVID co-host, Coop McCullough. How are we doing, That's Coop? That's me. I'm doing good, Zach. And yeah, I just realized we couldn't have used our joke that we sometimes use of when I say I'm thinking about something and you say, yeah, I thought I smelled something burning. <laughs> you, you can't, if I'm I thinking, can't. you're not going to know. My dude. house could be burning down and I could not smell it burn. Can you probably it? feel the heat. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, while I've been quarantined, I've been able to reach out to people and, and do an interview. So I actually had COVID while doing this, this episode or oh, this interview. Can you smell? I couldn't, but point? it was over Zoom, so nothing to smell. Okay. Also, no need to shower. Just, a, I mean. So? <laughs> yeah, dude, you you uh, have your skinny jeans on and your hair's looking nappy. <laughs> Thank as, you. Thank as you. they say in, in the pop culture songs. That's right. Well, we do have a great interview today. It's with Miss Christine Handy. Christine, I met mm -hmm. her on LinkedIn. She was on another podcast. I listened to it. It was very interesting. And so I just reached out to her. I was like, hey, probably not as interesting you, as this episode is going to be. No. Like this episode. No, like, but the, yeah, this is the one you should listen to. <laughs> right. Out right, of the right. two, this is the one. She's just, she's an author. She's a speaker. And, <laughs> but she wrote a book. This is very interesting, Cooper. She wrote a book and it's fictional. She wrote it in a fiction sense, but it's her story. And it uh, all came true. Oh, okay. No, it I was true. She wrote it down. No, it wasn't. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So she basically, explain that. What do you mean by that? So fiction, she, but it's her. She went through a, a certain a number of strands and of difficulties in her lifetime. And the big one being breast cancer, battling breast mm -hmm. cancer. And it gotcha. being a long walk of, of chemotherapy and walking with people. So at the end of it, she writes her story as a book. But then before it goes out, she kind of switches it. And I ask her about what like the thought process behind this was. She switches the names in the book to make it all fictional people. And I guess a fictional place, mm -hmm. but it's true. Like what happens in the story is what happened to her. The book's so what it's it's basically what happens to buddy the elf at the end of the movie when he writes the book oh <laughs> and the for the publishing company that is true except he hasn't changed the names but essentially she's buddy the elf she is but she did not go through the candy cane forest she went through chemotherapy uh, treatment which is a little more severe but the book is yeah, called I would think walk, so. walk beside me and it's really a story okay. of friendship and the people who walked beside her through this time and, and the friendships and where she developed. So I wanted, I wanted to talk to her 
about what yeah. it looks like to find those people who are going to walk with you through anything. And she gives us great insight because that's truly a huge part of leadership. And what we found is that deep relationship. And what I found even in this time of being quarantined, not being able yeah. to be with people, be around with people and interact with them, it's hard. And it's hard to motivate myself to do anything, to get up and, and to do work. Shower. To sh- even okay. to shower, Cooper. <laughs> because he's probably showered, folks. Me. Don't don't fret. Zach's I probably have. showered. I have showered, but she's really an incredible woman. She's she's back now. I, she's she told us she's fifty years old and she's going back to get her master's in writing at wow. Harvard. At Harvard. Oh my god, that is crazy. So this woman is an achiever. She's done a ton, and she was so uh, gracious to be on the podcast and give us a few minutes of her time. So Cooper, without further yes. ado. Here she Let's is, hear it. Christine Handy. Well, Christine, thank you so much for being on at short notice. Again, uh, this is, I mean, the first exposure to you and your story and your message was yesterday, and then we're hopping on a Zoom call today. And so that's the the beauty of the time we're living in, but also we are living on computer screens like you'd mentioned a few minutes ago. But again, thank you so much for being on. I want you to start by just introducing yourself. Who are you? Kind of what's your quick synopsis of your story and how do you get to where you are today? Wow, that is a loaded question. <laughs> Uh, So my name is Christine Handy. I'm the author of the book Walk Beside Me, which has become a bestseller and and also being made into a film called Willow, the feature film. Um, Coming soon, I suppose. COVID has uh, cut it it up a little bit, but Um, I think they're resuming back in March. Um, Anyway, I'm a mother. Uh, I've been a model for, well, since I was 11, so 40 years. And uh, uh, I'm a motivational speaker, and I sit on the board of a company called eBeauty, which is a wig exchange program for women who are in treatment who can't afford wigs. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also on the board of uh, a nonprofit in Palm Beach called Man of Purpose, which is trying to keep prisoners uh, out of jail who are coming out. So, And I'm now on a task force in Palm Beach to do that very thing. So... I have a, my hat in a lot of different directions and that's, you know, I, that's, be, that's just my day to day. And I wrote a second book, which hasn't been published yet. And I'm also getting my master's degree at Harvard. So, well, I, th- I think a theme through all the people I've interviewed on this is that they do have their hand in a lot and they are juggling and have a lot on their plate. So I want to start there. We'll obviously get into your book and your story, but as, as a person who has their hand in a lot, whether it's school, nonprofits, being on boards, or your personal speaking and writing, how do you juggle everything, especially in a time right now? How do you balance work, life, and, and all the things you have your hand in? Um, I don't know that I do a great job in balancing it. I have very little social life, and I'm addicted and determined to save lives. Mm-hmm. And so that carries in every single avenue that I walk through each day. You know, I, I, t- I talk to people about this. You're either going north or south and whatever that looks like for you, but whatever direction you're going every single day, you're stamping that pavement, right? Mm-hmm. And so every morning that I wake up, I know that I want to serve and be a leader and help other people. And so that's the direction I'm going. And so the only real commodity we have is our time. So I put my time into writing about that. I put my time into mentoring women. I put my time into help, helping prisoners. I speak in prisons. I speak obviously on these boards. And, and so leadership to me, mean even though it's in a lot of different directions, it's all got the same theme. 
And, and so if I'm helping people in all of those different hats, then that's the value and that's the measure for me. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And I think the, the ability to balance all that and to be able to say, these, these are my principles, these are, this is my purpose, and this is what I'm going to go for. And if it doesn't fall into why I'm doing what I'm doing, I'm not going to do it. I love that. And I want to I talk about your book. It's called Walk Beside Me. Kind of what was the reason behind writing it? Kind of tell it. And first of all, is it fiction or is it nonfiction? Because I, I hear it's your story, but different names. Right. So, well, you know, what's, what's behind it? It's a fictional depiction of my life. Um, and it's, I, the names are changed and so are the cities. But it's, um, the reason I wrote it, I started modeling when I was a child. And, but I was also a very good writer at a young age. And I always wanted to write a book, but I really didn't know what to write a book on. And so when I was 35 years old, I had a colon resection, which almost, I almost lost my life. Uh, I had blood transfusions and the doctor made an error and then fast forward five years later, I had an issue with my arm. My arm was ultimately fused and now I have a fused arm. And then a year after that, I was, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I went through 28 rounds of chemo. And since I was diagnosed with breast cancer, I've had 21 surgeries. Just this past year during COVID, I got a staph infection in my left breast cavity and um, that ultimately led to the excavation of my entire breast cavity. Mm. And then... Recent in September, I had the other breast cavity removed. So I've had massive amounts of physical disabilities and ailments. Massive, more than more than most people could ever handle in one lifetime. Mm. And I've taken all of that pain and decided I'm not going to waste this. You know, God, there's always a purpose in life, and there's always a purpose for everything that we go through. And whether it, it it's whatever it serves for me. The, the pain will have meaning. And so I've turned, I've shifted that from like bitterness and anger to having purpose in my life. And so I wrote the book as a, as a tool, right? To say to people with any illness, with any trauma in their life, it doesn't have to be breast cancer, but you know, there's hope in every single story. And if we can use our hope and our stories and be vulnerable, vulnerable about them, because if you share a story, that's vulnerability but a lot of times people don't want to be vulnerable. So we don't know that other people are going through pain and suffering. And so by me being vulnerable and really sharing the good, the bad, and the ugly about my story and really not unfavorable things about me that put out into the world, it gave people hope. Right. Mm. And so for me to go through all of that and kind of hold that story to myself, I felt like it was a bit selfish. I knew that God had a purpose for it. And I was, a, was a steward to doing, to using it. And I, I, God gave me the story because he knew I would write the, write the tale. And so fortunately, you know, when I wrote the story, I said, okay, God, if you want it out, get it out. Well, it's now being made into a film. Come on. Uh, so that's the reason I wrote the book. And I also wrote the book because women in media and television and movies, we really are portrayed as catty and kind of pulling each other apart. And in my situation, I had a mountain of women stand by me through season after season difficult season after season. I'm not talking about flourishing seasons. I'm talking about pain and suffering and, you know, them giving up their families and their time and their resources. And so I wanted to paint the picture of like what women uniting can actually look like, which is incredibly powerful. Right. 
Well, there's so many things in there that I want to talk about, but I'll start at the beginning when you talked about vulnerability, because I think a lot of time we see leaders as these untouchable people, people with perfect lives. There's nothing wrong with them. But in reality, the leadership is being able to wipe that. And it's all about the perspective of your story. If you're able to share the good, the bad, and the ugly of your story, you're able to connect with people and touch people's lives. And that's why I think it's so important. So for you, how are you able to switch your perspective of, I have these troubles, I have these hard times in my story, I can use them for good in my purpose rather than covering them up and making me look perfect. How did that perspective shift work in your mind? Well, I think it started when I was, I mean, I lived a life of very, um, I lived a very transactional life. You know, I was in the modeling world and I loved it. I wouldn't trade it for anything, but it was very transactional, like with photographers or with my modeling agent. You know, you do this for me and I'll do this for you, sort of, so to speak. And so I thought that's how the world worked. And then when I started to get ill and I lost my beauty, I had no hair. I had, I mean, my, I, I lost what I thought was my identity. Mm. And, and so I had to look inside and go, really, who is Christine Handy? And I had no clue. You know, I was very dependent on what I looked like. I was dependent on the things that I had. I was dependent on the car that I drove, et cetera. And that didn't make me a bad person. That just made me a person, right? And when I was going through chemotherapy, somebody said to me, you know, people are watching you. And I said to them, what do you mean? And, and they go, well, they're watching how you react. And not, it wasn't just people in my family. It wasn't just my sons that I was modeling pain in front of. It was people in my community. And so I said to myself, you know, it, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't a shift overnight, but it ultimately was a shift where I said, you know what? I, maybe I'm going to die. Maybe I'm going to live. Regardless, it's out of my control. It's in God's hands. Yeah. And so how I walk through this is in my control. And if I can show people courage in this trial and in this trial and in this trial, then people are going to learn from that and they're going to become more courageous, right? Mm -hmm. But if I show them anger and bitterness and why me and this victim mentality, then I'm teaching them that. And so I chose, you know, years ago when I was diagnosed with cancer, nine years ago, that I wasn't going to live my life like that. You know, and I'm watching it now with COVID. I mean, people were, well, the media is telling the world to be afraid. And I'm basically telling the world, like, are you kidding me? You have no control over this. There's no reason to walk in fear. Walk by faith. It's not in your control. But how we respond to the pain or the trauma or how we respond to the news, that's in our control. Yeah. And I think that's a huge part for, I guess you'd say strong-willed leaders or anybody who has that ambition is that, that want or desire of control over our life. And whenever it's gone and we realize we don't have it is when we're able to really thrive and be able to connect with people like that. The other part of your answer earlier was the, the, the mountain of women that you had that came around you during that time of, of all the rounds of chemotherapy, all the struggles, they, they came around you. And that's really what the book highlights. I mean, the titles walk beside me and you had yeah. people walking beside you. And I think that's an amazing picture of not just come beside me, not just be beside me, but walk beside me as every step I take down this road, you're walking with me. So talk about the power of those friendships and what those women did that impacted you and helped you get through those hard times. Well, there, there is no way that I would be sitting here and talking to you if it wasn't for those women. I had just come off a year of being bullied by this doctor, which ultimately led to the fusion of my arm. And I just thought I'd used up all my chips with my friends. They were driving me to physical therapy. They were driving me to surgery. They were staying with me at night. They were feeding me. They were feeding my family. They were picking up my kids. 
And so when I was diagnosed with cancer, I was like, I've used up all my chips for, from my friends and my family. They're not going to stand by me. And now I've got 28 rounds of chemo ahead of me. I'm not going to make it because I know I can't get through it alone. And they said to me, they literally sat me down and said, why do you think that we would forsake you? Like, we don't serve a God that would forsake us. Why would we forsake you? And they basically said, we'll be there every step of the way. And then they started to show up. Like, they didn't just say it, they did it. And they showed up for my family and they showed up for me. And then they got other people involved. And, and just the fact that they showed up, you know, taught me, you know, they were the hands and the feet and they were literally saving my life. And there were, there are plenty of days that I didn't know if I would wake up the next morning. And I was like, well, you get to go home. You know, you get to wake up tomorrow morning and you don't have to worry that you may or may not wake up. And they would just say, well, then we'll stay with you. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was that kind of dedication and devotion, which is what I try to teach people now. It's like people ask me all the time to be interviewed or to talk. And I'll, I never say no, because I'm like, so many people need to hear this. If you just show up and especially in the environment we live in now, you know, we're all supposed to be separate from each other. Okay. You can be separate and safe, but you can FaceTime and you can text and you can reach out to people. You can zoom because people need people. That's, that's universal. Suicide is up 200% right now. That's on us. We have a responsibility in that. Yeah. You know, I, I call people from high school that I, I, that I haven't talked to in years. I'm like, Hey, how you doing? And I, I don't like small talk. I, I absolutely, I don't do it yeah. because I want to have a conversation. Like when I say, how are you doing? I want to know, mm-hmm. you know, empathy and compassion. We are giving it freely and we should give it freely. Yeah. And I think there's so much power in just showing up. So kind of talk about that in your life. Just, I mean, showing up, but then there's more to it. You're there for someone when you say you're there, but you said these women show up. What did they do? How did they go the extra mile? What were some things that really stood out to you that we can take away and use? If we see someone walking through something hard, what does it mean to show up? Well, I I mean, communication, right, is for one. But when I'm sitting in the chemo chair and, and, and I had to show up for myself, right? maybe more importantly, um, I had to sit in that chair and I had to be hooked up to chemo. But the whole time I'm there, there was somebody by my side, one of my friends by my side, but they were also texting me, calling me, checking in with each other. How is she doing? What can we have at home for her? Um, I had one friend who papered my house with sticky notes that were, had scriptures on them. She put it in my kid's room, on mirrors, on the TV, in every single room in my house, she, I had scriptures everywhere. And so if I was in the laundry room doing laundry, I was looking at a scripture on the laundry machine, the, the washing machine going, okay, well, you know, this is from John 12, 13, right? And, and I'd read it and I was learning. And so it was that extra stuff that, you know, they packed my chemo bag with socks because I would get cold. They would pack it with, you know, uh, whatever chips because I would get hungry and, and so it was just the little bitty details where they would, would help serve me. And then what happened was because we were literally walking, like they would get me out of my house. And even if I could just get, go down the block, we were walking down the block. And so what was also happening was the community that I lived in was watching. And they were watching these people show up. They saw their cars at my house every day, but they also saw them holding my hand and picking me up to go to chemo. And so it became kind of this avalanche of, serving other people in our community. And, and then the police got involved. I lived in a town called Highland Park and then they would come over, they'd bring me food. You know, they would stop by my house and check in with me. And, and so it was like this amazing Petri, you know, experiment that was permeating through 
the community. And it was showing, it was modeling everybody around us how to show up for people. It's amazing. And is, is that where the, the title of the book came from? The walk beside me, these walks through your neighborhood. And is that yeah. where that came from? Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. And I, I also heard you talking about this experience and kind of that there's that two sided, the, the piece of it. There's one of feeling unworthy uh, of their help and that you've used all the chips with, with them, whether it was with your wrist. And then now you have this issue that you've used all the chips. So you're unworthy of their help. But then there's also the other side where there's the fear of abandonment, that you're going to be alone. You're going to be lonely. And, and you, you, I mean, you want people to show up and you want them there. So how did those two kind of hold you back or how did you get through both the feeling unworthy and also the fear of abandonment? Well, the feeling of unworthiness is a self-esteem issue. And I absolutely had a self-esteem issue, but I also wasn't putting any time or effort into working on my self-esteem. One, I was dependent on all all those other sources, right? I was dependent on, well, if I just go shopping and pick up a great bag, you know, that'll fill me up, which didn't. And it was very fleeting and it was very, a feeling of very empty. And why isn't this working? And then I also had, you know, my looks, I was, uh, you know, a model and, you know, I, that's, I, that's why I thought people loved me was because of that. And of course that was not the case. Right. And, and, and so once all that was taken away and I realized that that was temporary, there's no U-Haul behind the hearse, the stuff doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. People don't love you for what you look like. Um, that was pride and ego. Yeah. And once that pride and ego shifted and my self-esteem Again, my friends helped me work on my self-esteem saying, yes, you are worthy and, and we're going to stand by you. And once people show up for you, you feel more worthy, right? And so once my pride and ego didn't trip me up, because it's pride and ego that, that keeps you from asking for help. It's like, oh, well, it's shameful, right? To ask for help. I can't ask for help. That's just, I'm tough and I'm strong. That's pride and ego. And so once I got rid of the pride and ego, once I got rid of what people thought of me, and my self-esteem got stronger, that's when my life really shifted because I was able to ask for help because I needed it. Yeah. And I don't want to brush over that before we get to the fear of abandonment is uh, so many people, again, on the, the strong, ambitious, the leaders, the leadership type of people are the ones that aren't typically, typically going to be asking for help because they're, they want to be asked to help and they, they feel like they want to be the, or they don't need help. They're too strong. We don't, they don't want to seem as weak or, or see the weakness. So practically, how did you get through that? The the shed, the pride and ego, getting past that and saying, it's okay to ask for help. I literally died to myself. I literally died to everything that I valued. The the Prada bags, the Birkin bags, the, the blonde hair, the street I lived on, the whatever. It was things, it was stuff. Um, when I shed that and I just said to, I mean, literally, I, I was, there were many times where I almost died. And I said, at the end of the day, what matters? Like when you, when I'm being lowered into the ground, what really matters? And I had to face that at a young age. And what I figured out was people matter. Mm. Showing up matters. You know, not, I don't, it doesn't matter what people think of me. It matters what I think of me. It matters how what I want my future to be. It matters how I help other people. And the other thing that is really important is that when I was modeling and, you know, doing Bud Light campaigns and the guest model and all those really things that people think, oh, wow, that's a really cool thing. I was very happy, but I was never, I never felt joy until I served. Mm -hmm. And so once I got rid of the pride and ego, once I got rid of the, um, the selfishness and turned my life into selflessness, I started to feel joy. 
And I, I can't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh my gosh, the more people I serve, the more people I help, help, the better I feel, the more joy I feel. So in a way it's a little bit selfish, but it's, it's, it feels good. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. It feels good to serve. And I, yeah, I mean, that's the ticket right there. There's so much that's joy it. in serving. I, I love that. Now on the flip side of that, there's that fear of abandonment and it's fear of being alone and having to face trials alone. So did yeah. that hold you back at all during this process or, or trials? I think it's held me back. Um, it's kind of been a, a big theme in my life. Um, and I, I, th- I think it, I just, at a younger age, I was more codependent. And I also had to shred that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just had to go through trial after trial to get rid of that too. You know, it takes real courage to stand alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ultimately, we have to be comfortable enough to stand alone. And again, I think that's part of it is having people shore, shore you up to begin with, but it, it goes back to self-esteem and worthiness and how you feel about yourself and what you think of yourself. Like there's no self-condemnation going on in my head, but there used to be. Mm. I used to say, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not pretty enough. I, why would a photographer pick me for this campaign modeling? And then I, after I went through all these illnesses, I thought, what do you mean I'm not good enough? What do you mean I'm not pretty enough? What do you mean? I, of course I am. I am worthy. And so it was a shift. It was a paradigm shift, but it was also be- it stems from self-esteem. And and I think for me, I at a young age because I was faced with such pain and and trauma, I had to. It was a choice how I reacted to it, right? Yeah. And I, and I decided that me was good enough. Right. That's amazing. And I want to shift it even now towards leadership and the leadership aspect, because I think a lot of leaders find themselves lonely. And I think it's their own doing in that aspect of not being vulnerable and not being able to connect with people. But I think there's a real value in relationships and friendships and leadership and that they need that to be around people. So as a leader, what do you look for in friends? How do you find the right people to surround you, surround yourself with in order to continue to push forward and to have those feelings of I am worthy uh, of these friends. I am worthy of help. What do you look for in friends as a leader? Well, um, it's a two-part question. I think that being a leader is a responsibility, uh, but I also think leading um, can be very scary and be very vulnerable. And I don't know a lot of leaders that really put their personal life out there like I have, and because that can be too scary for them. But I think ultimately, if you're going to lead and serve, I think the only way to do that is to do both. And so when I'm picking people to walk through my life with, I'm picking people that I know are going to stand by me through whatever I walk through. And none of us are going to go unscathed. And so I'm picking people also that have the same vision for their life, right? I'm picking people that want to serve. And that doesn't mean serving on a board. That means going down to the homeless shelter and serving there. It's not a status um, and it doesn't equate with money or things. It's about your heart. And so part of the reason why I'm, I'm having this call with you is because my friends beat into me, right. That I was worthy. And ultimately I felt like I was able to stand on my own and I did. Um, But if we nurture our self-esteem and we nurture you know, our sense of self-worth, we will want to become leaders to serve. And so when I, when I wake up each day, I don't, like I said, I don't criticize myself and I also don't want other people to criticize me. And we have to take inventory of the voices we listen to, even as much as what, what we listen to on TV, the podcasts we listen to, the, the friendships we listen to. I want voices that are going to uplift me and cheer me on. 
And my last point about leadership is we have to be our biggest cheerleaders. Mm. If I don't believe in my book, if I don't believe that it's, you know, in the film, if I don't, if I don't put that out there into the world, if I'm not my biggest advocate, who's going to believe in me? And so some, some leaders, some people think of leaders as like arrogant or, um, you know, self-promoting. There's nothing self-promoting about your brand that you believe in. That's what we're supposed to do. And I, I mean, again, you, you have to, you have to cheer yourself on. If you expect other people to cheer you on, you got to be the one that cheers your, yourself on too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important. And you even mentioned putting yourself out there and your personal life out there. And I think that's so important too, but you've got to be behind yourself and you've got to champion your own cause, your own mission, your own purpose. If you want people and or expect people to come alongside you and do the same. Uh, I want to ask you one more question before we go. I know you have another meeting shortly, or if you're not already late for it, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? You look back 20 year old, Christine, what would you tell that person? I got you. Mm. I got you. We're going to get through this because that 20 year old person is totally different than the person I am now. And I look back and I want to, I just want to hug her and just say, it's okay. You know, the, the insecurity and the, I don't know, sense of, you know, self denial, so to speak, and the criticism that you gave yourself. It's okay. I got you now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got you. I think those are just just simple words that you can look back and you can hold on to. And I think they're very impactful. But Christine, I know you got to go. Thank you so much for your time. This has been uh, so impactful. It means more. Thank you. Well, I want to, I want to leave you with one thing and I want want everybody to remember this. Tomorrow is promised to nobody. And if you say that to yourself every day, you will live a different life. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to say, But if you start to believe it because you repeat it to yourself every day, which you will start to believe it, tomorrow isn't promised to anybody. And we have have a responsibility today to live today. And what you do today is important. And so just remember that. I love it. We can't end any better than that. Tomorrow is not promised to anybody. Thank you, Christine. Thank you. 